how fast this year has gone by? My stress levels keep rising every day as my to-do list grows longer and longer. And if one more person asks me if I'm ready for Christmas, I may completely lose it. Each year around this time, I say I'm going to get better about keeping my focus where it needs to be. But then I get sidetracked, and it seems like life constantly gets in the way. This past fall, I participated in the book study on The Best Yes, and there's a part where she shares about a past Christmas when she was rushing around, frustrated, and I could really relate. She went to Target for wrapping paper, but somehow left the store and got all the way home before she realized the wrapping paper was in the cart. She was late for a Christmas party, so decided to wrap the gifts in recycled birthday bags. And then, in all the chaos, she remembered she was supposed to bring cookies to said party and was scrambling around to see what she could bring. While all this is happening, her husband kept saying something about wanting to give money to one of her employees. She was so aggravated that he thought this moment of rush panic was a good time to bring up giving. She said she was seriously considering canceling Christmas. Later, she would find out her husband was requesting money for a family who had just lost their child that morning, and she felt horribly convicted. Her focus was more on pleasing the people at the party than being present with her own family. It was about keeping up appearances rather than staying connected to God. Just that morning, she had been praying and asking God to show himself, then got up from her prayers and forgot to look, forgot to seek him, forgot to keep her heart in tune with his voice and his invitation, all because of the chaotic rush of the day. The story of her husband's employee and the tragic loss of their daughter shook her back to reality. She asked for God's forgiveness that night, as well as her husband's, and they wrote a check to help the family pay for the funeral. So now, the season is here, and it's time to see how this Christmas will unfold. It's easy to say, remember the reason for the season, but then walk away and get caught up in all the tinsel and trappings. This Christmas season, I challenge you to step back from all the gifts and parties, and remember why we have this time of celebration. Allow yourself to be in God's presence and truly celebrate the gift of Christ in your life. So next time someone asks me if I'm ready for Christmas, I think I'll answer no. I'm not ready for the gifts and parties, but I am ready to celebrate the gift of Christ's presence in my life. How about you? Are you ready for Christmas? Yeah, Kristen raises a really interesting point for us, and that is, what are we going to do throughout this holiday season as we head towards Christmas? Because uh, if you're like me, what I've figured out is that Thanksgiving really is the starting pistol for what turns into the constant rush in every direction. And it seems like every single day there's something. There's a Christmas party or there's a kid's pageant or there's something to attend somewhere. And if we're not careful, what I have found for myself is that I can end up at the first of the year and I can look back at the whirlwind that has been November 26 on and I can figure out, that I've gone through all the motions and I've left Christ behind when it comes to Christmas. I haven't done anything to grow any closer to him than I was before I entered into Thanksgiving. I haven't known anything more about him than I did before I walked in. And that's not what I want for us as a community of faith. And we've tried to work on that a little bit here at Trinity. We're trying to figure out how to take some of the activity out of the schedule. If you'll kind of notice, we've actually taken a number of the Christmas parties and kind of consolidated them into one big dinner for you guys uh, I know that helps me out as a pastor with just babysitting and things like that. But we want you to make plans to do that. It's coming up in December on uh, just a few weeks away. And we'll give you some more information of that as that comes up. But we're trying to help you slow down a little bit because this is what we believe. 
if we have gone through all the motions of the Christmas season and we've not grown any closer to Christ, then we've really missed a real treasure that God has for us and that he offers us. It's amazing to experience all the things we have at our disposal, but we want to make sure that our focus and our attention is honed in on the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to share a story with you this morning from the book of Matthew chapter 2. You can go ahead and turn there if you'd like to. However you access the Bible, go ahead and flip to that chapter. That's where we'll be for the majority of this morning. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you, why don't you grab one of the brown Bibles like I have here that I'll be preaching out of, and you can just follow along. And if you're not familiar with the Scripture in the brown Bibles, Matthew chapter 2 is on page 1497, so you can just flip there and follow along with me. This is a very interesting story for me because it involves a group of men who ended up missing Christmas because their focus and their attention was somewhere else. And I want it to serve as a challenge for you and me how to make sure that we don't make the same mistake right here before the season really revs up. I mean, we're still in November. It feels like we're already getting started. Still in November, but we have a chance to push the pause button, examine our life, think about the direction we're going, and making sure that Christ is the center of everything that we do. So in Matthew chapter 2, let me just set the stage for you a little bit. This chapter and this verse actually takes place about a year and a half to two years after Jesus' birth. Jesus has already been born in Bethlehem. He is still there. His family is raising him there. A year and a half, almost two years has passed. And a group of travelers from the east arrive to seek out Jesus' birth. So let's pick up in chapter 2, verse 1, and let's read verse 1 and 2 together. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. So to set the stage a little bit, we're probably familiar with the Magi, or sometimes you see them represented as wise men. We don't have a really good word to translate what they actually were because scholars don't exactly know what they were. And back in biblical times, we know that these were men who would study the night sky. They would study the movement of stars. They would study different prophecies that had been uh, brought their way. And they would try to connect those events and try to interpret what was happening in the world through those events. And for whatever reason, we're not even sure how they put it all together. When they saw the star appear that marked the birth of Jesus, somehow they tied that to a prophecy that the king of the Jews had been born. Now, I want you to understand, they did not understand that Jesus had been born. They didn't understand that the Messiah had been born. But somehow God, in his infinite grace and his wisdom, decided to reveal himself to a group of men who were not Jewish, who were not worshiping that God, who were pagan star worshipers, and to reveal himself to them and allow them to be part of the greatest movement in history, which was the coming of his son to the earth. I love that about God, don't you? Don't you love how God will take the outsiders of culture? How he'll take the ones who are furthest from him, the ones who are the least likely, it seems, to be used by God, and weave them into his tapestry of what he's doing and draw them close to them? 
So these men travel from wherever they were in the east. We're not actually sure where they were headquartered. It could have been anywhere from Iran, Iraq, even as far as India. They were worshiping. They were looking at these stars. They were tracking these movements. And it takes them a year and a half to two years to figure out from the time that star appeared to get all their gear together and start heading to Israel looking for the king of the Jews. Now, this is what they're thinking. If the king of the Jews has been born, he's probably been born to the current king of the Jews. So they just go to the capital city of Israel, which was Jerusalem, and they go to find the king of the Jews at that time, which was King Herod. This is what you need to know about King Herod. King Herod was an incredibly wicked man. He was a man who had been placed the king of the Jews by the Roman Empire, who was absolutely in control of all Israel. But they liked to have kind of a local monarch in all their little states that they covered and they controlled so they could kind of keep the peace that way. So they chose this guy, Herod, who was a half Jew and half Roman. His mother was Jewish. His father was a Roman citizen. And they took this man who they knew was power hungry and wanted control. And they dangled this kingdom in front of him and they install him as king. Now, the Jewish people could not stand Herod because, one, he wasn't a pure Jew. Two, he had a hobby of just kind of murdering people randomly, just taking them off the street and murdering them just to kind of establish this iron fist of rule in Israel. And even to the point where he often put to death his own sons because he was so paranoid that one of his sons was actually going to assassinate him and try to take over the kingdom. So this is an incredibly wicked man. And when the Magi arrived, they had to have been surprised that when they got there, that Herod had no child in his household that had just been born to him. And it was surprising to Herod as well to learn from these travelers that this prophecy is out there, that a star has been raised and that the king of the Jews has been born. So look at verse three. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed And all Jerusalem with him, probably because in his haste and in his anger and frustration that arrival to his throne had been born, he probably lashed out on the people around him in some form or fashion. But understand what a wicked and conniving man Herod was and how he was above all things concerned about his throne. So he was disturbed to hear that someone had been born the king of the Jews, not appointed the king of the Jews like he was, but had been born the king of the Jews. And so Herod decides he's going to figure out what is happening here. Verse four, when he had called together all the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. So in trying to discover who had been born the king of the Jews, Herod gathers all of the religious leadership of Israel, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he asks them where the Messiah was to be born. Here's what I want you to understand, though. They did not realize 
that the Messiah had been born. When Herod called them in, it doesn't appear that he tipped his cards, that he knew about this prophecy that the king of the Jews had been born. Instead, he just asked for information. He just says to them, what do the scriptures, what do the prophets say about when the Messiah and where the Messiah is going to be born? And they knew that right off the bat. They had studied the Old Testament. They were experts in that. And these men said, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. But here's the trick. Jesus has been born for at least a year and a half. And the best and brightest in Israel who knew scripture better than anybody, who knew the prophets better than anybody, who were supposed to be closer to God than anybody, had no clue that the Son of God had been born into the world. And they don't even get the clue when Herod is quizzing them on what's going on and when the Messiah would come. And we know this because Jesus not only was born into the world, but for the next 30 years is going to be living in the world and then begin a public ministry. And it's those religious leaders, those chief priests who are not welcoming him as the Messiah. What are they doing once his ministry starts to get going? They are opposing him at every turn because they did not believe he he was who he claimed to be. So not only did they miss Christmas by a year and a half, they missed Christmas by like 33 and a half years because they had no understanding of what God was doing. They were not in tune to the Lord. And as a result, you have an entire group of men who should have been the ones that God could have most entrusted with the idea that his son was born into the world. And they are the ones who are the least aware, even a wicked king knows that the Messiah has been born. Even pagan star worshipers from hundreds and thousands of miles away understand that a king has been born and the religious leaders did not. That's not what I want for us. That's not what I want for us in the Christmas season. I don't want us to be people who should be the most able to discern what the Lord is doing in our midst during the Christmas season to have it pass by because of all the trappings around Christmas. So I want to challenge us with a few things. First, let's talk about why the religious leaders miss Christmas. And I encourage you to take a few notes. You got your bulletin there just so you can write these things down and study them this week. But why did the religious leaders miss Christmas? You ready? Number one, they were about ritual and rhythm, not relationship. They were about ritual and rhythm, not relationship. I want you to understand what the chief priest's job was, what the teachers of the law, their job was. Day in and day out, they made sure that the temple system and the sacrificial system functioned perfectly. They made sure the priests were in place. They made sure sacrifices were done correctly. They also made sure that all the taxes were taken up and that all the money that was needed was collected from the people. They went through the rhythm and routine of worshiping God every single day. Not only that, the teachers of the law were tasked with explaining the word of God and training the people from every age group in the word of God on a regular basis. But here's the problem. They were going through those motions. They were maintaining that huge structure. They were going in that day in and day out rhythm, but they had no relationship with the Lord to speak of. How do we know that? Because 30 years later, these are the same men that when Jesus comes on the scene from day one, They are opposing his ministry. 
at every turn, whether he's baptizing people, whether he's healing a blind man, whether he's raising someone from the dead, no matter what he's doing, these men are critical of that and they cannot accept what Jesus was trying to communicate to his people, that he was God himself in the flesh. So much so, they opposed him to such a level that they rigged the system and they manipulate things to end up putting him on the cross, which by the way was no accident. Jesus knew what was coming, but they thought they had a really good plan to get rid of this country preacher. So they just organized everything in that direction and they actually crucify God on the cross. That's not people that have a relationship with God, right? They had ritual. They had routine. They had no relationship. I'm so glad you're here this morning. You know what I find around Christmas time? We have more and more people that show up that I never see all year long. I'm so glad you're here this morning. Please keep coming back. Hey, keep coming back in January and February too. We'd love to have you. It's easy to get into all of the things and rituals and routines. I love Advent. It, it helps us think about and prepare ourselves for the coming of Messiah. I love that we sing Christmas carols. I love some of the routines and rituals that turn our attention towards the Lord. But do you know we can go through all those rhythms and routines, especially as someone who helps run all of these? And we can grow no closer to Jesus in relationship during Christmas. I promise you something. Jesus would rather you set aside every ritual and routine if it allowed you to grow closer in relationship. And I want to challenge you on something. Don't be afraid to do that. If it means stepping out of a a ritual, changing something up, reading Scripture in a new way, learning the Christmas story in a new manner, whatever it takes for you or your family, don't be afraid to set away your rituals and routines so that you can cultivate that relationship with Him. Number two, why the religious leaders miss Christmas? Number two, they weren't looking. They weren't looking. You know who was looking? The pagan star worshipers a thousand miles away, they were looking. They actually didn't know what they were looking for. They had just made it a hobby to be looking for changes in the stars, to be looking for new prophecies, to be looking at at history trends. They were looking for something. And we don't know what happened, but when that star appeared, one of the, the common practices back then was to believe when a star appeared that it meant that a king would rise to power. And when a star would fall from the sky, they believed it was a prophetic word that a king was going to fall from power. Now, what was more common back in that day that a star would fall or that a star would appear out of nowhere it was that a star would fall so all the time they're thinking kings are going down right i mean just about every night they're seeing a fallen star but you don't see a star appear out of nowhere especially if it's your practice to study the stars every single night these are men that noticed they knew the first night it appeared and we know that because Herod goes and he starts quizzing them and asking them, hey, when did the star appear? And they could tell him. They could tell him the date because they had been looking. They had been looking. The religious leaders weren't looking. And so they missed Christmas. You know what's amazing to me? With everything going on in our culture, and man, we have special after special on television. 
We have got gathering after gathering, our school programs, our community gatherings. We have the community lighting of the Christmas tree, I think it was last Tuesday. We have all these special things that happen. But if you're not looking, you won't see Christ in any of it. You really have to be looking. What I found is what is shown to us, about 90% of it, you're not going to see Christ at all unless you're really looking. And men and women, we have to have a heart that's going to be looking for Christ. We have to have a heart that's going to be looking for him during these times. I love all of those things. I decorate trees. I decorate our house. We go to gatherings. I love all those. But that's not the centrality of my Christmas. I am looking for Christ in the midst of those things. And number three, why do they miss Christmas? Because they were content to know about the Messiah rather than longing for him. They were content to know about the Messiah rather than longing for him. Let me help you understand what I mean when I talk about the Messiah, because for some of us that didn't grow up in church, that may be a term that's not familiar with you. Back in the Old Testament, there was this amazing king named David who walked with God, and Scripture said he was a man that knew God's heart better than anyone else. And he was not only a really godly man who led Israel to a place where they worship God and follow God probably more than any other time in their history. But he was also a really powerful king because God blessed him and gave him victory in everything he did. So by the time David died, he had absolutely subdued every nation around him. And Israel was the most powerful nation on the face of the planet. They had the greatest landmass they ever had. They had the most political influence. All because God had used David and David was obedient to him. But after David died, for the next couple hundred years, Israel started moving further and further away from God. And because of that, God started to take the authority and the glory and the power of Israel back until he got to a place where he was so angry with his people that he even allowed a foreign army to come in and destroy Israel completely. And for 70 years, his own people were thrown out of Israel and scattered all over the world. Until a pagan ruler named Cyrus the Great came along, the the ruler of Persia, who conquered the world and allowed the Jews to go back to Israel. And when he did, from that point on, they were able to go back to their own nation. But from that point on, Israel had a world power that controlled them from that point on. First it was Persia. Then it was the Greeks like Alexander the Great. Then it was the Roman Empire by the time Jesus came along. And for the hundreds of years between the time they got to come back to Israel until the time of Jesus, they had been under the iron thumb of one nation or another. And at this point, it was Rome. And the average person suffered greatly under the Roman Empire. Rome was oppressive. Rome ruled with an iron fist. They put kings like Herod in power to keep people under control. The average person on the street suffered greatly under the Roman Empire. And so this is the hope that began to spring up in Scripture and through the prophets. There was this hope that God would bring another king like David, a king who loved him with all of his heart and who would lead the people to a spiritual revival, but also bring a king that would lead them to a political revival and that he would come to power and he would overthrow the Roman Empire and all their enemies and he would be called the Messiah. They called him the son of David because they hoped he would be like David and he would lead Israel back to glory. And by the time, listen, by the time that Jesus came along, the average person on the street was hungry for the Messiah to show up. It had been hundreds of years of oppression and they wanted to be free. That's why when John the Baptist showed up, 
And he started baptizing people. And thousands of people went out to be baptized by them. What were they asking John? They were asking him, are you the Messiah? Why did they ask that? They were hungry for the Messiah to come. And God knew exactly what he was doing because he was preparing the way for Jesus. He was preparing the way for Jesus. But do you know who didn't care less about whether or not the Messiah showed up? The religious leaders. You know why? Because they prospered under the Roman Empire. They prospered under people like Herod because what Herod did. He took the temple and he built it bigger than it had ever been built before. He made them very powerful. He let them basically control the whole religious life of Israel. They were very powerful. They were very rich. And they didn't need a Messiah because they didn't want to be delivered from Rome. They didn't want to be delivered from Herod. They did not want the Messiah. They did not long for him in the least. So you know what happened? When he came, they missed him. They missed him. You know who didn't miss him? Shepherds. Poor people out in the field. You know who didn't miss him? Wise men that had nothing to do with the Jewish faith. These outsiders to the culture, they didn't miss the Messiah because they were longing for him. And they weren't content to know about the Messiah. They wanted to know him. You know, it's funny. The religious leaders knew the most factually about the Messiah, but they didn't know the Messiah at all. When Herod asked, they told him right off, oh, yeah, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. I know all the facts. Sooner or later, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. That's where he's coming from. But they didn't even know he had been born. So how do you and I, let's get practical as we wrap up here this morning. How do we keep from missing Christmas? Number one, slow down and make a plan. Slow down and make a plan. Listen, if you just wade into the stream of what's going to happen from December 1st until December 27th, if you just wade into that stream, you are going to get drug along by the current, okay? And the only way to keep from that pull dragging you off of your focus on Christ is to slow down and make a plan. And I'll challenge you, you've got to have a plan before December 1st. You make your plans about Christmas in November, Not in December, because you don't have time to plan for Christmas in December. This is the weekend. This is the next couple days. I think Thursday is December 1st. Is that right? You got Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday to sit down with your family, to sit down with your thoughts, to slow down, and to make a plan. It's funny. Think about this. We plan every other part of Christmas, don't we? Ladies, let me ask you. And gentlemen, I won't exclude. How many of you have a list of what you're going to buy for who already? You've already made a plan. That's less than I thought. How many of you have no plan on what you're going to buy? I feel better. I feel better. I thought I was just a disorganized guy. I feel much better. We're all in chaos. That's great. Okay. Listen, we plan what we're going to buy for who. We plan every party that goes on the calendar. We plan and we figure out who's going to babysit for who. Sometimes we combine couples so you can maximize that one babysitter and saddle that person with seven kids, right? That's the way you do it. Maximize that Christmas party money. You plan out everything. Do we have a plan for how we're going to grow in our faith with Jesus? Do we have a plan for how we're going to help our children understand Christ more in the next 30 days than when they walked in? We have to slow down 
and we have to make a plan. Number two, don't let activity choke out your vitality. Don't let activity choke out your vitality. What do I mean by that? If you're constantly rushing somewhere and you're constantly doing something, you won't have any energy to give to the Lord, who I have found does not shout for our attention, doesn't put up flashing lights. He just whispers to us, come sit with me. I want to speak with you today. And what I found is when I'm tired and run down, that's the last thing I want to do. But when I have my energy and I have my plan, it's the first thing I want to do. Make a plan and don't let your activity choke out, be choked out by vitality. Or don't let your vitality be choked out, choked out by activity. Number three, evaluate your Christmas traditions and rhythms. Like November is the time to sit down and say to yourself, what do we do every year? What are we planning to do this year? Evaluate all of your traditions. Evaluate all of your rhythms. And I'm not telling you to toss out everything that doesn't have to do with Jesus. I'm telling you that I enjoy those things. There's so many things in the Christmas season I love doing. I'm even trying to grow in this a little bit. I'm actually trying to learn how to listen to Christmas music. You know, that's a big deal for me. For years I've held this theory that there's only 15 Christmas songs and they've all been re-recorded 300 times each. So we think there's a lot of Christmas music. There's not. There's really only 15 Christmas songs. But I'm trying to grow in this a little bit. I'm actually turning my radio to Christmas music and trying to learn. I'm trying to watch Christmas movies. I will not watch Christmas movies that are on the Hallmark Channel. I'm sorry, ladies. I can't take it. Let me ruin the plot of 60 Christmas movies on the Hallmark Channel. There's a single girl. There's a single guy. The guy has a daughter or a son from some kind of tragic marriage or divorce or the loss of the mother. The single woman is going to fall madly in love because she either teaches the child or she works in the bakery or she does whatever else that he, wherever he gets his clothes dry cleaned or whatever else, she's the swim coach or whatever happens, she's going to fall in love with him. The kid is going to suck her in. They're going to be, they're going to be in love by Christmas and it's all going to, tell me Mitchell, is it right? It all ends on Christmas with a beautiful snowy scene under the tree. Wow, it just all comes together. And you'll watch it again and again. Y'all just eat it up don't you y'all eat it up y'all eat it up i can do a lot of other christmas movies i just can't watch anything in the hallmark channel but listen i love all those things i do love all those things but you have got to evaluate the traditions and rhythms you have and to make sure make sure that the things that are going to push you closer to christ and christmas and number four is this once you've evaluated those rhythms Number four, make sure that you make new ones as well. You know what I found the coolest part of being an adult so far, of like being married, having kids? Here's the coolest part. I get to make up my own traditions. Cherry and I were talking this morning about like family holidays. We were talking about Thanksgiving and Christmas. And sometimes you grow up and you just end up at grandmother's house or whatever else it is. One of the cool things about having your own kids and getting married is you get to decide where Christmas is going to be Christmas morning. And like you get to decide what goes on the table at Thanksgiving and things like you get to decide new traditions and rhythms. Here's why it's really important, because you are passing on your faith to the next generation. And not just that, 
You are inviting your family into your traditions as well. Make sure that your new traditions and rhythms involve Christ as well because they can be incredible witnesses to people who don't know the Lord. Invite your neighbors into that. Invite your co-workers into that. Explain why you light candles in your home. Explain why you have a manger scene on your mantle. And that's the centerpiece instead of whatever else it is. Invite people into those new rhythms and traditions. But it only happens if we evaluate those things. And number five kind of goes along with that. Whatever you do to celebrate Christmas, number five, leave no doubt that Christ is the center of your Christmas. Here's my goal. My goal is if you walk in my home, and we decorate our home, I love it. My goal is if you walk in our home at Christmas, you don't have any doubt that Christ is the center of that holiday. Or if you sat at my table on Christmas morning when we had breakfast. Or if you were in our living room when we opened presents or whatever else it was. My goal is that my children or you or anybody that's there has no doubt that Christ is the center of Christmas for us. We can have fun. We can go to all these events. But Christ is the center. How are we going to prioritize that together? And the things that we do, the plans that we make, how are we going to keep Christ the center? And number six, how do we keep... From missing Christ by beginning a relationship with Jesus today. You know, the best way to make sure that you don't miss Christ is by starting that relationship with Him today. You know, you may be here because this is part of your Christmas rhythm. Maybe Grandma drug you over here because you came for Thanksgiving and she woke you up and said, Listen, while you're here, you might as well come to Christmas. Or you might as well come to church. So you came. But all of this is new to you. All the things we did today, you've never seen someone light candles. You probably have no idea why three are purple and one's pink, one's white. You're probably wondering, why, why didn't we light the white one here? Why didn't we light this on fire? Just keep coming back. We'll explain all that to you, okay? Just keep coming back. Maybe all this is new to you. And I just want to make it as simple as possible. We celebrate all of this in the Christmas season because God himself chose to take on human flesh. He chose to become a baby to be born in a manger. But praise God he didn't stay a baby. He grew up to be a man who walked this earth for 33 years, never one time sinned against man or God, lived a perfect life, and when it was all said and done, he died on a brutal Roman cross, not because he had to, but because he thinks the world of you. And he wants to have relationship with you He wants to take everything you've ever done to offend him or anybody else. And he wants to place it under the blood he shed on that cross. And he wants to forgive you forever. And not just that. He wants to spend the rest of your life here and the rest of eternity with you in his presence. Cultivating that relationship. And that can start today. That can start today. I don't want any of us in this room to miss Christmas. But it takes focus and it takes uh, intention, doesn't it? This has been the Trinity Church Podcast. For more information on Trinity Evangelical Presbyterian Church, please check out our website at www.trinityepc.com.